When we, we're going to uh, talk about the fifth prophet today, and then we're going to take a break during Lent. And since we've been doing a lot of work with sin, you notice how the, he kept sending prophets to the nations because of their sin. Let's talk about what that is. When you mention sin in our culture today, most people think of judgment, uh, because it is connected to judgment, but it's very different than that. So we're going to take the season of Lent and just focus on what is sin. And what you're going to find out is that it has to do with the way we connect. That's really what it's related to. So we're going to take that time. And then when we're finished with Lent, we'll jump back into the rest of the prophets. So we're doing a series on the prophets, the 12 minor prophets. Okay. Now remember, the major prophet, that just means that they're bigger. Minor prophets means that they're smaller, not less important. The major prophets cover a longer period of time and they deal a lot with uh, more theological issues. The minor prophets are addressing specific problems. So when you line up all the minor prophets, you begin to see how merciful, patient, generous, gracious, loving God is, how tender he is to never give up on his people. So you may remember the story that Solomon, when he died, he ended very poorly as a king. So sure enough, when he died, he had broken most of the Mosaic law related to being a king. So when he died, immediately there's a civil war. Ten tribes went uh, to the north. Two tribes went, stayed in the south with Jerusalem. Okay, that was in 931. So we're talking about 10th century. So now what we did was the northern kingdom is up here. Southern kingdom's down here. So the northern kingdom, uh, well, both actually, but the northern kingdom especially was wandering away from the Lord. They never really turned to him once they left. And so 150 years after Solomon, God sends Amos and Hosea. And so right away you see patience. You see 150 years after the sin, he's, he's giving them a chance to turn around, but he sends the first prophet to them, Hosea and Amos. Assyria, during this time, their power is waning and then it's growing. It's doing this and this. And that's the Lord uh, giving them a chance over here, the northern kingdom. Assyria is over here. They were becoming the big superpower. And they didn't listen to Amos and Hosea. And so God decides to use Assyria to punish them. Before he does that, though, he sends Jonah to Nineveh, which is the capital city of Assyria to cause them to repent. Well, they repented, but only because they wanted to avert a 40-day disaster. As soon as they're done with that, they get right back to their old, their evil ways, and they were evil. And sure enough, they come over here, and they crush this. They, they annex this country, and they get rid of them. They disappear off the earth. Their state policy at that time was they take all the people. They didn't keep them in people groups. They scattered them around all the nations so they would intermarry and lose their identity, which is what happened. Okay? So... After this, he sends Nahum, which we looked last week, to the southern kingdom to tell them what's going to happen to Assyria. So this is about Nineveh as well, uh, because they did that. God's going to destroy them. And sure enough, right after that, the Babylonians and the Persians come in and wipe them out, and they're gone. The ancient world is full of this. It's a fascinating study in history of who's in power, who does what. So this kingdom is now gone. This kingdom is on the danger, is, is a threat. They're about to lose it. And this, this one is now turning their eyes down here to this one because they got all the gold up here in this property. So they're going to go now go to the southern kingdom in Jerusalem. So we're going to back up. We looked at Jonah and Nahum because they're a pair. Now we're going to back up just a little bit to the end of this country right here, right at the end. They're being destroyed by Assyria. So we're going to back up. So we're into the 8th century, early 7th century now. 
A long time after 10th century when Solomon died. God's very patient. So now we're going to look at what happens with Micah. It's one of my favorite prophets, but not for the reason that you think. Micah gives us a stunning glimpse, a stunning insight into what leadership looks like from a Christian, a theological perspective. How do you decide to make good decisions? And Micah is the one that opens the door for the first time. So it's a lot more than just simply, hey, you're in trouble. You're about to get, you know, kicked by the Lord. It's about a king who has to make a decision on what that looks like. So the story now, here's how it goes. I'm not going to read all, I'm not going to put these up here. I'm just going to read you some of these. The Assyrians have annexed the northern kingdom, and uh, now they're coming for the southern kingdom, okay? Uh, They like the, I mean, both these countries are prosperous because God's blessed them. So they like what they have. And you know, most of history, the nations are like this. I'm bigger than you. You have what I want. I'm going to come take it. And that's what they're doing now. So uh, Micah covers three of the southern kings. The last one is Hezekiah, and I want to focus on Hezekiah because it's so intermingled with Micah's prophecies. Hezekiah, is, uh, he's a good man. He's a really good man. When, the, when these uh, refugees were starting to come south, they were a little bit hesitant about taking them in. So, um, but they did. And so in Second Chronicles 30, which we're not going to read, um, he's got this challenge on his hand. Because all these refugees are coming south, so he has the southern kingdom and he has the northern kingdom refugees coming south, and he decides to do the Passover against the law. The priests weren't cleansed, the people weren't ready, and it was a different time of year, but he saw an opportunity. It's one of the fabulous, fabulous passages to teach us that the law was made for us, not us for the law. It's the other way around. So he recognizes a chance to reunite these these nations that have been divided for so long to reunite them. He recognizes that. And so he breaks the law three times. And the people get really nervous, which is stunning when we look in just a minute at what was really going on in the city. But um, he said, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He'll, I'll pray to God. It'll be okay. So they went ahead and did Passover because he could bring the two nations together, what was left of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom together and start to reunite them. And sure enough, God blessed them because they did that. So it shows us that there's a lot of flexibility with the law. You know, we think of it as very rigid and harsh. It's not at all. It's designed to bring people together in a relationship. We talked about that uh, two years ago now when we looked at Leviticus. Okay, so that's where we are. Okay, now that passes, and now Assyria has come into the southern kingdom. So this kingdom's now gone. And so Assyria now comes into this kingdom and starts to destroy it. They annex everything and take the people and scatter them. And they get down to a little city called Jerusalem. It's only about six acres, maybe eight. That's all that's left, the city of Jerusalem. Hezekiah is the king, okay? So that's where we are with Micah when he steps into the mix. Micah was... um, he uh, prophesied the same time as Isaiah, so they both are at the same time, which it's an example of God obeying his own law. You see in a fallen world, he says, never entertain an accusation or a statement of truth on the basis of one, uh, one, but on the basis of two or three. So he sends two prophets to connect the dots with Hezekiah. So this is where Micah enters the scene, is that when they're now surrounded and uh, there's no hope left, 
because they have also been really evil. And so it's going to present to us a challenge in leadership and what do you do? So the name of the Assyrian commander is Sennacherib. It's mentioned in here, okay? So Sennacherib, uh, he's the most powerful nation on the earth. He sends a letter to Hezekiah and says, you might as well give up. You know, every other nation, their gods didn't help them, not going to help us. You might as well go ahead and give up. So Sennacherib, I mean, uh, Hezekiah has this letter and he's trying to figure out what to do. And the people are very nervous because they know what they had done to the rest of the world. I mean, they were cruel, cruel, cruel people. They did not mind slaughtering you and tormenting you. They were evil people. So he gets this letter and he looks at it. But then Sennacherib, he knows that's not enough. So he sends his uh, chief commander. I'm just going to read it to you. Here's what the commander says. The commander stood and called out in Hebrew. Okay, now here's the walled city. He's standing on the outside with their massive army. And he decides to talk to the people, not Hezekiah, in Hebrew, so they can understand him. In fact, they ask him not to do that. And he says, I'm going to do it anyway. So here's what he says in Hebrew. Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Earlier we know it's Sennacherib. This is what, by the way, the fact that we know it's Sennacherib, we can date this really, really precisely. So this is a factual story. Okay, this isn't made up. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, quote, the Lord will surely deliver us. The city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me. Come out with me. Then each of you will eat from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern. Okay, now listen to these words. You're going to hear these again in just a minute. Then each of you will eat from your own vine and fig tree and drink water from your own cistern until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. Choose life, not death. Doesn't that sound like God leading Israel out of Egypt to the promised land? Do not listen to Hezekiah, he goes on. For he is misleading you when he says, the Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered us from his hand, from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of, and he lists like seven or eight of these nations. Have they, did they rescue Samaria from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries has been able to save this land from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? Okay, powerful words, aren't they? Okay, now you see, you get the picture? All of Israel has been destroyed. You got one city. And you're surrounded by this incredible, brutal, brutal, I can't say it enough, horrible nation. And And he's telling the people, don't trust your king. I will take care of you. You're Hezekiah. What would you do? What's the expedient thing to do? Negotiate surrender. Right? Negotiate surrender. Hezekiah has already proven himself to be a good king, and he's faced with a monumental um, 
a monumental decision here. Okay, I'm going to jump over into Micah to give you just a glimpse of what he's hearing from Micah. Okay, you see, Micah's concern is very different than the the safety and welfare of the nation. Doesn't matter to him that there's not much left of the nation. It's pretty much down to this. Okay? It's down to this. And here's what Micah said. He's concerned about two things. One is spiritual adultery. And the second one, which is actually the bigger one, is care for the needy. Okay, pause. When he sent the first prophet Amos to the northern kingdom, remember the basic message? You are taking advantage of your people. Take care of the poor and the needy. This occurs all throughout the minor prophets. You can tell this is the heartbeat of God right here. When you ask the question, how did 12 men, by the power of the Holy Spirit, bring a Roman Empire to its knees? You know how? We now can trace it. The gospel spread through the bottom part, the foundation of all the peasants who were being taken advantage of. And they turned to Christ. And eventually, 400 years later, uh, the Roman Empire collapsed. That's how the gospel works. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the poor. That's where he went. He didn't try to convert the upper echelon. He went for the bottom strata. And so that's what Micah's concern is. And here's what he said. He's, first of all, he's concerned about their spiritual adultery. This is Micah 6, 12. Your rich people are violent. Your inhabitants are liars. Their tongues speak deceitfully. Therefore, I have begun to destroy you, to ruin you because of your sins. Pause. Let's not forget. God says, I decide which nation to raise up and which one to destroy. I decide who to make rich and who to make poor. Exodus 3. I decide who is going to be deaf and who's going to not be able to speak. Okay? In other words, the message is really clear. I am God and you are not. We should never forget that. And he's very consistent. We may not like it, but it is the reality. I am God and you are not. Therefore, verse 13, I have begun to destroy you, to ruin you, because of your sins. You will eat but not be satisfied. Your stomach will still be empty. You will store up but save nothing because what you save, I will give to the sword. That means the people come in and are going to get your wealth. You will plant, but you will not harvest. You will press olives, but you will not use the oil. You will crush grapes, but you will not drink the wine. Okay? He's upset because they're, they're, they're turning to all the other gods for protection and help. We actually know that they tried to put in place a treaty with Egypt to avert this. And uh, Syria went down and just crushed Egypt. Totally crushed. We saw that uh, in the last Sunday. Thebes, one of the biggest cities in Egypt, they just went and crushed it. Assyria was nothing to, to mess around with. They were evil, they were cruel, and they were powerful. Well, then when you get to the part about his concern for caring for the people, this is how God evaluated Jerusalem. Okay, Micah chapter 3. I'm going to read the first three verses. Then I said, listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel. Should you not embrace justice, you who hate good and love evil? Okay, that's what's going on underneath Hezekiah. 
And we learned a lesson. The best kings in the world don't change the hearts of people. Okay? Hezekiah was a good man. He's faced with a dilemma here because he's got a people group that are pretty evil. You who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people. Wow, these are graphic images. Who tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones. Who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin, break their bones in pieces. Who chop them up like meat for uh, the pan, like flesh in a pot. He goes on, this is not up here. Then those people who are doing this, those evil people, okay, in the city of Jerusalem. We're not talking about the Assyrians, we're talking about the Jews. Okay? Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil that they have done. Then we go back over to chapter 6, and we hear a little bit more of this, how they're treating their people. So, one of them I already read to you. <clears throat> Let's see where am I? Oh, yeah. Am I still to forget your ill-gotten gain, your treasures, you wicked house? If you only see the story through Hezekiah, you think they're pretty good. But you find out something different through Micah. And the short Ephath, which is accursed, shall I acquit someone with dishonest scales, with a bag of false weights? Your rich people are violent, your inhabitants are liars, and their tongues speak deceitfully. You see, they're taking advantage of the people, and they're cheating the people. Jeremiah, a few years later, reflects back on this. Here's what Jeremiah says in 26. Micah of Morsheth, that's the prophets that we're studying, prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, king of Judah. He told all the people of Judah, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. Did Hezekiah, king of Judah, or anyone else in Judah put him to death? That's what they typically did, put the prophets to death. The answer is no. Did not Hezekiah fear the Lord instead and seek his favor? And did not the Lord relent so that he did not bring disaster, the disaster he pronounced against them? Now here we are in Jeremiah's time. We are about to bring a terrible disaster on our hands. Okay, you see the picture? Hezekiah is caught. He's got Micah and Isaiah here in just a minute. Micah talking to him. He's got a people in the city that aren't interested in following the Lord. Okay, and he's got us surrounded by the superpower of the world that has already demonstrated incredible power and cruelty. What would you do? We have one of the most stunning glimpses in doing what's right than rather than doing what's expedient. It's because of Hezekiah that the people were not slaughtered. That's one of the reasons we have elders and pastors because they will give an accounting for your souls. They watch over you. So we're getting ready to see Hezekiah do the most amazing thing to avert this disaster. We're going back now to 2 Kings. Okay, so I'm in 2 Kings in the next chapter because we've got to find out what's going to happen. 
2 Kings chapter 19, verse 14. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and he read it. Then he went and negotiated a peace treaty. No, no, that's not what it says. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord. He spread the letter out in front of the Lord. And here's what he said. Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim in the Holy of Holies right behind him, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord. Listen. Please listen to us. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words of Sennacherib, Sennacherib who, has sent, uh, who, who has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste all these nations that they just told us. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. But now, Lord, our God, please deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone, Lord, are God. Nothing expedient about this. He's all by himself. And he kneels before the Lord in humility. Changes world history. It's pretty remarkable. So God sends his reply through Isaiah. So Micah's talking in one ear and telling him about the cruelty of his own people. He's watching Assyria outside the gates. Right there. He knows how powerful they are. And Isaiah comes and says this. Same chapter, verse 20. Isaiah, son of Amos, sent a message to Hezekiah. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I have heard your prayer concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria. So this is what the Lord has spoken against Sennacherib. I'm not going to read the whole thing, just a little couple of little pieces. Who is it you have ridiculed and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes in pride against the Holy One of Israel? He goes on, this is how the Lord responds to the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city. It's this big. Vast, vast army. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city because it's mine and save it. For my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. I didn't put this one up here, but look what happens. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were dead bodies everywhere. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. Okay, now, he was just defeated by God. Okay, to his own people, that's disastrous. That's disastrous. Sure enough, the, one day while he was worshiping in the temple of his god Nisroch, his sons killed him with the sword and they escaped to the land of Ararat. That was God's response. One man. 
one man. What type of people do you want to be? Do you want to take the easy way? Do you want to take the hard way? Do you want to take the way of faith which is always going to be challenging? Or the expedient decision which is always going to be a little easier? What way? As we said with each of the prophets, the prophecies are all about the nation of Israel and how evil they are, but, but threaded in between those is a message to the remnant. Because each step of the way, there are some faithful people. We already know Hezekiah, we already know Isaiah, we already know Micah, and there's another remnant there. Here's what he says to the remnant. Okay, so this is Micah chapter 4. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills and the peoples will string to it. Many nations will come and they say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will come out from Zion. Okay, pause. Jeremiah later on prophesies about the new covenant. You know what he says? He's going to take out the heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh, and write his laws on our heart. This is an allusion to the new covenant that's coming that we celebrate at communion. The word of the Lord, the law will go out from Jerusalem, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That's what's happening right now. Most of us here are Gentiles. Okay? Church in... uh, in southern India is growing. The church in Korea is growing. The church in Cambodia is growing. The church in Mozambique is growing. The church in Nepal is growing. I visit all those countries. That's exactly what's happening here. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Praise Jesus. I cannot wait for this part. That's why Jesus, Paul, Peter, all said to be peacemakers. Everyone, can I listen to these words because you just heard them from Sennacherib. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree. He stole the words of Sennacherib and told us the truth. No one will make them afraid for the Lord Almighty has spoken. So then we conclude with this. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. He's talking to Hezekiah. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Don't worry. Don't worry. Do what's right. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You know what the word, the name Micah means? Who is like God? Who is like this God that we serve? Who is that? I've told you many times that when my first wife died, when her heart stopped beating, I just said, Who is this God? 
I love him and I don't even know him. Here's how he closes his book. Who is a God like you? Isn't that a great question? Who is a God like you? Who pardons sins and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? He's talking to the remnant. He's asking the obvious question. You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. You will again not have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. Or as Isaiah says, you will throw them as far as the east is from the west to remember them no more. Who is this God? So let me ask you this. Who is the real threat to the people of Israel? Is it Sennacherib? Or is it God? People thought it was Sennacherib and the vast army. And sure enough, if they had not turned and repented, it would have been. But Hezekiah saw something different. The real threat was God if they did not turn because God is the one that would make it happen. That was the real threat to their existence. If he had not turned one man, the southern kingdom would disappear too. So what type of people are you? You're all faced with decisions. Some of them harder than others. You're going to choose the road to expediency or the road to faithfulness. That's the harder road. No question about it. Nothing new under the sun. We have a culture swirling around us with all kinds of things that do not resonate with our values what kind of people are you going to be father thank you for uh, thank you for the incredible story in leadership with Hezekiah thank you thank you for prophets like Micah and Isaiah who could step in Jeremiah who would look back and reflect on it thank you for a man who had the faith to do what was right in the midst of overwhelming odds thank you father for our church We delight in you. We delight in being your children. And Lord, our heart's desire is similar to yours. We want to see our culture, our county, come to know you. And Lord, I know that's going to happen through the the marginalized, the poor. I know that. Help us to be people that believe this and step out in faith and make the right decisions, the faithful ones. In your son's name we pray, amen.